All right, so let's go ahead and continue our series on using the law lawfully. And we're going to be in Leviticus 18 to begin with today. We're looking at two of the laws in the Old Testament, seeing if they apply to us as Gentile believers. If so, how do they apply to us? So Leviticus 18, verse number 21 is where we'll be. We're going to start with the law against profanity. So let's look at the Old Testament command. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. So here we have a, a prohibition against profanity, profaning the name of God. Now let's go to the next chapter over, Leviticus 19, verse number 12. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. And so here again, we have this prohibition against profaning the name of God. And then we'll go a couple of chapters over Leviticus 22 and verse 32. Leviticus 22, we'll start in verse 31. Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Neither shall ye profane my holy name but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. And so here we have a command for the Jews. They were forbidden from profaning the name of God. Now what does that mean? <laughs> what in the world does it mean to profane the name of God? Well, we can find that in the Bible. Let's turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22 Ezekiel 22, we'll start in verse number 26 and look at several verses here in Ezekiel. So, so the Jews have this command, they're, they're not allowed to profane the name of God. Now there's other types of profanity that are mentioned and forbidden. For example, they're not to profane the Sabbath, uh, they're not to profane the temple or the tabernacle. Now, all those fall in sort of the same category here. Uh, so we're just going to focus on profaning the name of God and apply that to profanity in general. Now, to profane something basically means to make it common or less holy. It's to take something that should be holy and should be sanctified and separate to God and to make it common, just something that's in common everyday use, mixed in with everything else, uh, and to not have it in that reverence that it deserves. We can see that starting in Ezekiel 22, verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. And then we have the explanation. How did they do this? They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. <clears throat> so the way they profaned the things of God is that they did not put a difference between the holy and the unholy or the profane, the common things. So God was not set apart and he was condemning them for not having him set apart. So when they're forbidden from profaning the name of God, that means they're forbidden from having the name of God as just a common utterance among them and not set apart as something special. 
So let's go to Ezekiel 44 and verse 23. By the way, this is why the Jews will never write out the name of God. They'll put a capital G and then a dash and then D. They won't actually write G-O-D because they, they think that makes the name of God common. That puts it down on, on the same level as every other name and every other word that we just write out uh, without thinking about it. Uh, they Instead, they'll write G-D, and that's their abbreviation for the name of God so that they don't profane the name of God. Now, I think that's taking it to a little bit of an extreme because you don't see that in Scripture. People didn't have any problem at all in Scripture using the name of God uh, in their writings. You could say, well, that's because it's scripture. Well, you can look also at the ancient writings of the Jews, and uh, many times they didn't have uh, that same habit that they have now. Uh, but still, it just shows uh, the reverence that they have for the name of God. I think that's commendable. I don't think that's required. I still think it's commendable that they have that much reverence for the name of God because of these commands. So in Ezekiel uh, chapter 44, let me turn there, stop talking, and actually get to the passage I'm talking about. Ezekiel 44:23, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane, and cause them to discern between the clean, unclean and the clean. So here again, you have profane is different from holy. So when you profane something, it's moving it out of being holy and moving it into uh, the unholy area, or not necessarily unholy, but in common area. Uh, where everything else is. And then let's go to Ezekiel 48 and verse 15. <clears throat> Ezekiel 48, 15. And the 5,000 that are left in the breadth over against... Ah, I've got the wrong verse here again. I did that again. Let's see. Well, it's, it's another verse that says basically the same thing as Ezekiel 22, 26 and 44, 23. I'm um, saying that the uh, profane and the holy are on opposite, or the holy is something that's separate and uh, reserved to God, and then the profane are the things that are moved out of that category and just put into the common things. So the Jews were forbidden from profaning the name of God. What that meant is that they had to keep the name of God as something holy and set apart, and they couldn't just use it in common usage. It's not just something that they banter about, uh, but it's, it's something special. It's a, a holy name, uh, and they were to keep it that way. Now, does that apply to us in the New Testament? Well, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. And we can see in the New Testament, that as Gentile believers, we are also commanded to avoid all profanity. So we're commanded to do the same thing. Keep holy things holy, and don't just take holy things like the name of God, uh, God's word, God's commandments. Don't take those holy things and just make them common like everything else that's around us. They're to be separate, they're to be distinct and special and holy to us. Okay, 1 Timothy 1 verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, 
for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured person, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So you have this whole big long list of uh, evildoers. Right there in the middle of the list is those people who are profane, uh, and profanity is lumped in with all these other sins as being something that is contrary to sound doctrine. So as Gentile believers, we are also to avoid profanity. We can see that again in chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 4 verse 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Okay, so stay away from profane fables, just these uh, profane ideas. Uh, <clears throat> let's move over to chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. So again, we're to be avoiding things that are profane uh, expressions of profanity, things that take holy things and just mix them in with common things. Those are the profane babblings that he's talking about. And then we can go to 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and verse number 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So again, shun those babblings, those talkings that take things that are supposed to be holy and instead just mix them in with, with common things. So we as Gentile believers are to avoid profanity as well, just as much as the Jews were supposed to. Um, so we should avoid doing things like, for example, using God's name uh, as an expletive, because we're taking something that's profane and we're just making it common. It's just another expletive that we throw into our vocabulary. Uh, so we're to, we're to avoid doing that. That's not... Biblically speaking, using God's name as an expletive is not taking God's name in vain. That's a completely different concept. It's related, but it's a, a different concept. That's actually profaning God's name, to use the biblical term. Uh, we're taking something that's supposed to be holy, and we're just using it as something common. We're also to avoid profaning the Bible. So we're not to take the Bible and just treat it as if it's any other old book that we have in our collection. The same thing as any other religious book like the Quran or uh, you know, the, the teachings of Buddha or you know, not to, not to uh, um, lump all that together as the same thing. It's to be separate, it's to be holy. Uh, our time with God, our prayers should not be something that we profane and make holy. Uh, the commands of God is not something that we just uh, profane and make unholy. That's one, one of the things that I really uh, am bothered by with a lot of the modern movies and TV shows is how much they take the commandments of God and they just treat them like dirt. And that's profanity. It's something we're to shun, we're to avoid. So when I, have, when I see a movie or a TV show doing that, I don't want anything to do with that movie or TV show. I want to avoid it. I want to shun it. I'm not going to support them for profaning God's name. God's name should be holy or profaning God's word or his commandments. That, that should be holy. It should be something that's 
set apart that uh, is not just drug through the mud like anything common that we have around us. So that's the commandment against profanity. Any comments or questions on that one before we move down to the next one? <clears throat> All right, well, let's go on to the next one. We'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, we'll talk about the command against tempting God. So in the Old Testament commandment first, the Jews were forbidden from tempting God. <clears throat> now we use the word tempting here. Uh, it's the idea of a test. In, in modern English, the word tempt has come to mean uh, tempting to do evil, enticing to do evil. That's generally what people think of when... They think of the word tempt. Uh, that's not what the word tempt meant in older English. It had more of the idea of just a test, just testing someone for something. Uh, now, it still carried in certain contexts, it still carried the idea of enticing the evil because you're testing them with the opportunity to commit evil. Uh, but that's not exactly what the root of the word meant. It's not just bound to enticing evil. It's the root of the word means to test uh, or to prove something. So the Jews were forbidden from tempting God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, Thou shalt not, or ye shall not, tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massah. What in the world does that mean? Well to find out, let's find out what happened at Massah where he's talking about the time where they did tempt God. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 2. Exodus 17 We'll start in verse 2. <clears throat> Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee three, three of, or take with thee of the elders of the Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of, of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And so there you have the test. They're saying, God, prove to us. Are you with us or are you not? Where, where are you, God? Are you actually here? So to tempt God... <clears throat> was to give him some sort of test to prove whether he is really present with us or not. And we can see this again in Psalm 78. Let's turn over there to <clears throat> Psalm 78 and verse 15. <clears throat> All right, Psalm 78, verse number 15. 
It starts out referring back to what happened in Exodus 17 at Meribah. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart. So here we have another tempting. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. <clears throat> yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. <clears throat> and so here we have another example of them tempting God. Uh, they've seen his great miracles. They've heard his promises that he's going to take them to the, the promised land. And yet they still question, say, oh yeah, really God, can you really keep us safe? Can you really provide food for us for this whole time that we're going to be in the wilderness. And of course, God uh, was angry, sent uh, fire among them. Uh, then eventually, same in the same context later, he sent uh, fiery serpents among them to bite them. And that's where you have the, the serpent put on the pole with the uh, look and live. And you can read through Psalm 78. It's a, basically an account of all the tempting that the Israelites uh, did toward God and God's response to each of those. And uh, if you study this out, which we don't have time to today, you can see that a lot of the punishments that God brought on Israel, he actually says that when he, when he punished them, when he started killing some of them, that's when they turned to him and they would be back in fellowship with him. When he provided for all their needs and everything was going great, they would start tempting him again and say, you know, God, do you, do you really care about us? Are you really providing for us? Are you going to take care of us? And so he'd, he'd bring another catastrophe along so that he could save them from that catastrophe and prove to them that, yes, I'm still here. Um, and it's their own fault, all those different major catastrophes that were brought against them while they were in the wilderness uh, because they refused to believe that God could continue to provide for them as he had all the way up until that time and murmured and complained against God. Okay, so that's the, the tempting, the command against tempting in the Old Testament. Now let's look at the New Testament application. First we'll look at Matthew chapter 4. And we'll see Jesus quoting Psalm 78. So Matthew chapter 4. Or I think it's either Psalm 78 or Psalm 93 or 98. <clears throat> But one of those passages in the Psalms about tempting God. Matthew 4, verse number 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle in the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus was not saying to Satan, Satan, you shouldn't tempt me. He was saying, Satan, I'm not going to do that because that would be me tempting God. And that's a violation of the command not to tempt God. Because if Jesus had done that, standing on the top of the temple, he looks up at God and says, God, you said you're going to protect me and not let me have a, a single bit of harm come to me, not even dashing my foot against the stone. So I'm going to jump off this temple. Now it's your responsibility to protect me and 
keep me safe, just like you promised. If you're really there and you're really God, you'll do that. And so that's that would have been tempting or testing God. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that because of the commandment, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. <clears throat> um, now let's go to... Uh, uh, he's quoting from uh, Deuteronomy 6.16 there. It's uh, Paul in Hebrews 3 that's quoting in Psalms. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 9 and see that this is applied to us as believers. Jesus didn't just model this uh, as a Jew. He modeled it as our example as believers. <clears throat> and we also are not uh, to tempt the Lord. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. And so here Paul is referring back to the Old Testament when they tempted God by complaining about the meat and the food that he provided for them. And then he sent the fiery serpents in, and everyone that was bitten by these fiery serpents uh, ended up dying as a result of that bite because it was poisonous. And then Moses, of course, raised the uh, serpent on, on the pole. And everyone that was bitten, if they looked at the serpent on the pole, they would be healed and they would not die. Uh, so that's what he's referring to. They tempted God. God sent the fiery serpents with a constant reminder that, uh, yes, I could die at any moment because this serpent that's uh, infesting our uh, campsite could bite me. And then I have to look at the cross and or look at the, the pole and... Uh, uh, live as a result of that. It's the whole source of our song, Look and Live, My Brother Live, Look to Jesus Now and Live. It all comes from that uh, serpent put on a pole, and even in the New Testament, many times uh, the cross is held up as an example uh, of that serpent, or that serpent's held up as an example of the cross. Uh, so that's all from them tempting God, and we are told that we are not to tempt Christ uh, the same way that they tempted God in the wilderness. And then let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> so Hebrews chapter 3. And verse number 7. Hebrews 3 verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of, the, of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so here we are commanded to follow the example or to learn from the example uh, of the Israelites when they tempted God and God was grieved with them and with that entire generation uh, and did not let them enter into the promised land. And so we are to heed that warning, apply it to our own lives, and we are also to refrain from tempting God. So when God gives us promises, we find in his word that he's going to, for example, uh, provide for our needs. We shouldn't tempt God by saying, okay, God said he's going to provide for my needs, so I'm just not going to get a job, and I'm going to let God provide for my needs all on his own, and you know, people are just going to give me all kinds of money and take care of me. So uh, 
God, if you're really God, you'll do that. And God may just say, well, no, I am really God, and I'm going to punish you in order to let you realize that I am God, and then you can go out and get a job and work the way I told you to work to begin with. Uh, so we are not to tempt God in that type of fashion. So when God commands us, uh, for example, to, to take the gospel uh, to every creature, we're not to tempt God and say, God, if you really want me to do that, then uh, you're going to make it easy for me to do that. He didn't say only do it when it's easy. He said, you know, go take the gospel. And so we don't present these tests to God saying, if you're really God, you'll do this. That's, that's very much uh, contrary to the Word of God, something that God despises. And every example in Scripture of people doing that always met with catastrophe. And they always were brought under punishment and chastisement until they got their heart right and restored their relationship with God. So that's the command against tempting God. It does apply to us as Gentiles, and we're to abstain from that just like the Jews were to abstain from that. Any comments or questions? All right, well, that's all we've got for today. The bell's going to ring in just a minute here, so let's go ahead and close in prayer. Brother Ramon, can you dismiss us in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father.